Okay, are we on? We're good. All right, good. You see that, Pastor Mike? You didn't have to come check my microphone, so, so I think we're good. All right, let's uh, go in our Bibles to Luke chapter number 16 this morning. Luke chapter number 16, and uh, I'm sure you are familiar with this passage. If you can uh, listen to a verse quoted from 1 Samuel and figure out where it is, you probably know where Luke 16 is just fine. So, Luke chapter number 16, uh, I feel like every time I get up I need to say thank you again. Uh, just because the hospitality here has been second to none, and uh, this church has been very gracious and very kind and welcoming, and I just want to want to say thank you again for all of that. Uh, Luke chapter 16, I, I believe everybody here will be familiar uh, with this passage of Scripture, but I want to read it anyways. Um, what I've learned is, even with the passages of Scripture that we know very well, uh, they bear repeating. And there's a reason why, as preachers, we say when you're done reading your Bible, you read from Genesis to Revelation. And then what do I do when I'm done reading it? Well, you start over. Amen? <laughs> start back over in Genesis. There's a reason for that. Because this book is alive. And, and there's so much you can get out of reading uh, this book over and over and over. And so this is a passage I'm sure you know. Uh, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I've got to tell you, I feel like I've been faring sumptuously every day since I've been here in South Africa. Uh, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Uh, I'm thankful that when I die, I'll be carried and not just buried. Amen? And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Brother Ardaman, would you uh, please ask a blessing on the Word of God?
Amen. Amen. So this is supposed to be the Bible study hour. Uh, we call it Sunday school, right? And so there's supposed to be a lesson that we learn. And so this morning I'd like to bring you a lesson on missions from a very unlikely place. Uh, I would say that if we were to talk about different places that we would learn about missions from, maybe the last place we would think about is hell. But I, I think there's something in Luke chapter number 16 that I, I think very closely relates to the subject matter that we're trying to focus on this weekend. And, and the, the subject matter is missions and reaching the lost and going a little bit farther than we've gone before. And, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, uh, what we, in, in America what I say to our church is that Wednesday night service, I call it smelling salt service. You know what that is? That's what smelling salts when somebody is passed out and you put that salt in their face and it wakes them up. I think sometimes what God does is he puts a smelling salt lesson in the Bible so that we wake up a little bit. And so this morning, I'm not going to wax too thick theologically. I'm going to speak very plainly about a place that I don't like talking about. Uh, I think sometimes people think that preachers, Bible-believing preachers, enjoy talking about hell. I don't. But I'll tell you this, it is real, and it's there, and if God were to do something for us and open up the ground where we stand right now and let us look into that place, I think it would change the way that we look at dealing with people and the worldwide missions and getting the gospel out. We know the rich man died in his self-righteousness. We understand this rich man was probably Jewish. These are things that your, your pastors probably taught you, I'm sure. More than likely a Jew in verse number uh, 25. Abraham calls him son. And he refers to Moses and the prophets. And, and so this man is a Jew. In other words, this man knew some Bible, and yet he was lost. And all around us there are people that know portions of Scripture. They know about the Bible. They know about Jesus, but they're lost. And let me just say this and get this out of the way right now. This is not a parable. Oh, man, I, I can't tell you how many times someone says there's a parable in Luke 16 about hell. That is not a parable. If it's a parable, the Lord would tell you it's a parable. He does that in the Gospels. If it's a parable, real names are never used. He gives us the name of Lazarus. If it's a parable, uh, he would tell us at the end of the story, okay, here's what the parable meant. There's no explanation because the story is actual history. I believe this. I believe if the rich man was here today, we would be a little bit more excited about missions. I believe if God opened up the ground and allowed us to talk to that man, I don't think after thousands of years of being in torment that his story would change. I think he would simply say, if you can just reach one person, if you can just get a hold of one heart so they don't come to this place of torment, I believe our eyes would be opened a little more. You know what the challenge is for us? The challenge is the things which are seen are temporal. And the things which are not seen are eternal. And the way that we're wired, it's so much easier just to focus on what is physical and what is material and what is right now and ignore that which is eternal. Lesson number one, you have to have a vision for the eternal. Look, if you would, at verse number 23, the Bible says, And in hell he lift up his eyes. Uh, let, me, let me say it like this. I have 
prayed about your country. I have prayed for your pastor. I have prayed for this church. But I'll also tell you that, that my experience just in the last few days, what, what it does, being able to come and physically see the stories and the faces and get to know some of you personally and hear how you got saved and hear how your lives have been changed. It's different than just reading a prayer letter and I'm thankful that he does send those out to let us know what's going on. But it's so different seeing it face to face. Does that make sense? Are you, are you with me this morning? And, and I'll tell you what, we listen about, the, we, we read in the Bible about hell and we hear preachers talk about it and we know it's real and, how, uh, and, and we acknowledge that in our minds. But it's so easy as life goes on, you hear it over and over and over and over. Let me tell you something, when you hear the term robots, all right, that doesn't get your attention. It gets my attention, you know why? Because a robot in America does this. And so when he says to turn right at the robot, I'm like, there's a robot in the street? What a, that gets my attention. Does that make sense? Because I haven't heard that term like that before. You hear it, you don't think anything of it. And after, after a while, after you've been in church for a while, and you've been grounded and, and discipled, you'll hear about hell and you hear about hell, but if you're not careful, it becomes sort of this place that's way out there. And listen, there are people right now burning in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And it is our job to warn the, the, the souls that are alive right now so they don't go. Lesson one is you've got to have a vision for the eternal. And that man had that vision. You say, why? The Bible says he lift up his eyes. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, to lift up our eyes. Why? And look on the fields. Why? For they are white already unto harvest. You say, what is this place that we look at? It's a place of realization. You say, what do we realize when we look at hell it's forever. We know that the doctrine of, of uh, annihilation is false. We understand that the Bible does not teach that once you go to hell, poof, that's it. You burn and, and then you're gone and you dissolve into the elements of the universe. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. You have an eternal soul. And your soul will spend eternity just be, in, in the sense of, of this. God, the creator, is eternal. And because you have committed crimes against God that are eternal, if you die without Jesus Christ, you go to hell and you pay forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Let me tell you what, I don't like thinking about that, but it is true and it is biblical. You know what I like to think about? I like to think about the throne room of God and the, tw the four and twenty elders and how they say holy, holy, holy and they worship him forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm thankful to be on this side of eternity, amen? But, but I'm going to tell you what, this side is just as real as this one. I like witnessing the people on airplanes. You say, why? Because... When you're sitting on an airplane, there's nowhere they can go. <laughs> you know, I've had those conversations with people, and you know, you know it, it, it makes it really easy when you pull out your Bible, and it's like, plop! You know, there's your Bible, and you know, you can just see out the corner of your eye, they're looking at you like, what is this weirdo doing? <laughs> and why are they reading that book? You know, but it makes it very easy to have conversation. So where are you traveling? Oh, I'm going somewhere to preach the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? And their eyes get about that big and they, they realize I'm trapped and I don't know how to get out. I like to get the aisle seat. That way if they have to go to the bathroom, they have to go around me. 
There was a, a young Christian that was on an airplane and she opened up her Bible and she's reading her Bible and there's an intellectual man that sat next to her and, and this intellectual man said, do you really believe that book? And she said, yes, sir, I do. You mean you believe Jonah and the whole Jonah and the whale thing and Jonah got swallowed by a whale and, you know, yes, I believe that. Oh, come on, come on, how did that happen? I don't really understand all of it, but I'll find out when I get to heaven. And the man says, lady, okay, okay, fine. What if Jonah isn't there? She said, then you can ask him when you get where you're going. <laughs> Back in my country, there are some preachers that claim to be preachers, and I'm assuming that this would be the case here as well. They claim to be Christians, and I use that term very, very loosely. The Bible defines Christians for us uh, not only as those that have placed their faith in Christ, but those that have continued on in discipleship, according to Acts chapter number 11 and verse 26. We understand that. But the way that the world uses that term Christian is very loose. And there are some Christian preachers in my country that really don't want to talk about, don't want to act like it's real. Uh, there's a man named Rob Bell. He's a false prophet, I would say. And here's what this guy says. When asked about hell, listen, man, if I had the chance and someone put me on the news where three, potentially 100 million people could see my face and hear me talk about the gospel and they ask me, is hell real? I'm not going to go, well, I don't know. No one really knows. I'm not sure who goes there. I'm going to say yes, and I don't want you to go, and I don't want you to go, and I don't want you to go, and you don't have to go. This man, when he's put in that position, here's what he says. Well, what's interesting is that the New Testament writers keep saying uh, that, that Christ holds all things together. So they spoke of a universal Christ, a, a Christ consciousness that holds all people together. What does that mean? Pfft, nobody knows. <laughs> that all people are already present in this Christ consciousness. So are there people who've never heard of Jesus? Of course there are, he says. But he rejects the notion that individuals who haven't heard about Christ or who reject Christ would be punished for not believing in him. At the heart of Jesus, this man says, the message is a trust that there's a universal grace and love greater than any one tradition. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. He's not saying anything. You know what he's saying? There's no hell. Don't worry about it. A man that claims to be a Christian that holds this book. Now we would look at that and that, that should upset you if you're a Bible-believing Christian. That should stir you up a little bit. It should bother you. And at the same time we go, man, I can't believe that this man would try to explain hell away. But when we have opportunity as the Bible says, to do good, yes, especially in the household of faith, but to do good unto all men and to give the gospel and give to missions and to get the word of God out and to witness to your coworker and talk to the person on the street that God burdens you about. When we get that opportunity, we say, no, God, I'll do that later. No, God, I I I'll figure that later on. God, I don't have time for that right now. We'll get to that some other time. When that happens, you're doing the same thing that that man does. You're saying in so many words, God... It is not as real as you say it is. What a realization that the man didn't have to go to hell. Can you imagine getting to hell and realizing, I don't even, this wasn't even made for me. 
You realize if a lost sinner goes to hell, they're out of place because the Bible says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. The other day, though, when we first landed here, Brother Vensel picked us up uh, at, the, at the airport in Joburg. And uh, I'm going to try this. Wurz Bruiki. So, so, okay, all right. I just randomly, just thinking of an Afrikaans word, I had to uh, try it out, okay? So, uh, I've got what they call in America ADD. I can't keep my attention on anything for one period of time too long. So, I call it pastoral or biblical ADD. Thank you. I appreciate that. We, we went to his car, and uh, I go to the right side of the car, and he's looking at me like, I- I'm going to drive. And I'm like, oh, hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't realize the wheel was on that side, you know. And so I go to the other side, and as we're talking, I'm getting to know uh, his dear wife, Sulis, and, and, and they're a blessing. I'm excited to be part of your ordination, man. I'm excited about that. And we're, we're driving back, and, and, and uh, Ariana, my daughter's in the back seat talking to Sulis, and so I turn around to try to talk to them. Now, listen, when I turn around, you know what I automatically do because I'm on the left side of the car? I turn around, and I try to grab a wheel, and there's no wheel there. Because usually when I turn around and talk to my kids and I'm talking to them and they're in the back seat, I got to hold on to the wheel while I turn around. And there's no wheel there. And it just, I was like, what is going on right now? I just felt out of place. Do you know what a sinner realizes when they get to hell? I didn't have to come. It's a place of realization. It's a place of isolation. Abraham is afar off and Lazarus is in his bosom. Let me tell you something. They've done studies on people that are put in solitary confinement. People that are put into jail and they're, they're put into one cell by themselves. And they say that after time goes by, those people can read a book and read three, four pages and not even remember what they just read because it just starts to plague your mind. You start losing your faculties. You're not right in the mind when you're all by yourself. And that's what it is forever and ever and ever and ever in that place called hell. I've had people I've witnessed to, I don't know how this relates to your culture. But I've given a gospel tract to somebody, and they say, oh man, me and my friends are going to have a big party in hell. There's no parties in hell. It's a place of isolation. It's a place of realization. It's a place of deprivation. You know what he says there in this chapter? Look, if you would, at verse number 24, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this, in this flame. You know what Jesus Christ says in John chapter 19 while he's hanging on the cross? John 19, 21. I thirst. Why? He is suffering the agony of the pain and the, the sorrow and the payment of sin, of, of the sins of mankind there on the cross. God's wrath is being poured out on him no differently than a man suffering in hell. And he cries out and he says, I thirst. There's no party in hell. There's a lady in my church named Denia, and real sweet lady, and her and her husband, uh, they teach our youth Sunday school class. And they handle our youth group and uh, growing in the Lord and just a real blessing. And I didn't really know what her testimony was to the extent that I found out. I knew she had gotten saved not long before she came to church. I knew that much. 
but I didn't know everything about her testimony. And I listened to her testimony. She, she actually put it, made a, we actually made a video uh, through our church so that others could hear her testimony. And it just blew me away. One of the things that she said was this. She said, when you're on the outside looking into Christianity and, and people tell you about how to get saved, have you ever had this happen? You witness to somebody and they think to themselves or they say to you, you know what, I'd like to get saved, but I'm not sure I'm ready to give this thing up. And you're like, hey, listen, if you were ready to give it up, you wouldn't need a Savior, amen? I mean, the reality is if we could clean up our lives, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ. And, and what she said in her testimony was this. When you're on the outside looking in, what you tend to think is, I'm going to give up so much to be a Christian. And it's just the opposite. You miss out on so much without Jesus Christ. You know, when that person dies and goes to hell, all they can think of is what they're missing out on from this life. It's a place of remembrance. Look what he says here in verse number 25. Abraham said, son, remember. Don't you think that's going to plague somebody for eternity? I had a chance to receive the gospel and I rejected it. I was witness to it and I rejected it. But I wonder sometimes if this will happen as well. Adrian says he was a Christian. Did he know about this place? Why didn't he tell me? Hey, the memory still works in hell. The soul and the mind that was here on this earth, the remembrance of things before. Listen, I'll tell you what. I'm glad when I get to glory, I'm going to have the mind of Christ, and I won't think about all the sorrow and all the suffering and all the pain of this life. But I'll tell you what. When someone dies and goes to hell without Christ, they think about it day and night and the day and night. And one of the things that I know they're going to think about is, did that person know about this place and not tell me? You see, in Romans chapter 2, we learn this from the Bible. God is not unjust. Every man has a conscience. And if that person follows their conscience, God will do his part to burden the believer to go and give the gospel. A classic example of that is Acts chapter number 10 with Cornelius. God, bur God sees a man that, that uh, gives alms and he prays and he fasts and he's a righteous man, but he's not saved. And he sees that man's prayers come up as a memorial before God. And God marks that man. And so what God does is he burdens Peter. He tells Peter to go and preach to that man. Here's my question. What if Peter doesn't go? You can't blame God at that point. God has done his part. He has burdened the heart of a believer to go. He may burden you to tell. He may burden you to go. He may burden you to give. You've got to do your part. Or it may be when they get there, they'll think, did somebody know about this place? Was there some way I could have avoided it? It's a place of remembrance. We see lesson number one. You've got to get a vision for the eternal can I give you lesson number two? There's a difference between God's people and the world's. There's a separation there. Look if you would at verse number 26. Can I say it like this? To reach the world, we have to be different. The Bible says if some have compassion, making a difference. You cannot make a difference unless you are different. Different. 
We understand doctrinally this is not how things are now, but before Christ uh, was buried and, and rose again from the dead and led captivity captive, we know that in the heart of the earth there was hell and there was Abraham's bosom, but there was a great division that lined between both of them so that this person on this side could not cross over there, nor could this person on this side cross over here. What does that remind us of in this life? For us to reach the world, there needs to be a line of distinction between us and them. There's a distance. You say, why? How do you mean by that? Well, look, if you would, at verse number 23, the Bible says, he saw Abraham afar off. Listen, I believe this. I believe you ought to be close enough to the world to give them the gospel, and that's about it. (laughs) Close enough to understand where they're at so you can reach them, and that's about it. You will never, I'm telling you, I've watched this, and I just want to encourage, I've seen so many good things. You guys are a great church. You're doing wonderful things for Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Keep going on the path that you're going. Keep following your pastor's leadership. Here's why. There are a lot of churches that I have seen that used to do right, they used to preach the gospel, and somewhere along the way, Somebody thought, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be like them to reach them. It has never worked. There's distance. There ought to be distance. Let me say this. There ought to be division. Verse 26, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. You know the verse, wherefore, wherefore come out from among them and be separate saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I I understand that there are some people that can take that to an extreme and are pharisaical in their approach to others. I'm not discussing that. I'm not talking about that. But the Bible does say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. It's not just a matter of saying, I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't do this. Here's what it is. I won't do those things because I want to be dedicated to this. Now look, I've got, I've got to admit some things to you. I don't know much about rugby. I know it looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, the other, last night there was some kind of game going on at the university. Would that have been rugby? Cricket? They got that excited about cricket? Man. I don't know much about cricket. I don't know much about rugby, but I know a little bit about American football. Tonight kicks off, or today kicks off American football back in the U.S. So I've got, I got members of my church texting me saying, we're going to beat your team. I'm thinking, are you, what time is it right now? You should be sleeping and getting ready for church. Apparently their leader has not taught them well. There's, there's a, a famous football player named Tom Brady. Anybody ever heard the name? Okay, all right. They, I mean, it's like basically close your eyes for the first 15 games of the season and the last game of the season they win everything every year, it seems like. Tom Brady, well-known player. You know Tom Brady's, a, as far as I know, he's lost without Jesus Christ. But you know what I learned about Tom Brady? He doesn't drink alcohol. He won't go to parties. And there's a list of things he won't do. You say, why? He wants to be the best of the best in his craft. It's not so much that he has a, 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 some kind of a religious approach to any of that. He doesn't have a conviction about any of that stuff. 
He just wants to be the best guy on the field in the best condition to win the game. And if a lost man can be that dedicated to a game where men run around in tight pants, (laughs) he is separated from some things to be separated to something. Lesson two, there ought to be a difference between God's people and the world's. Lesson number three, there ought to be some sorrow over lost souls. Look, if you would, at verse number 24. I want you to look at the first three words in that verse. I don't know. I I don't know your heart. But I would question you and I would ask you this. When was the last time you shed a tear for somebody else? You know, sometimes, even in ministry, it's easy to go through the motions. Okay, I read my Bible. I, I did this. I, okay, I go to Bible school. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm at church. And every once in a while, I'll just say, God, would you break my heart for the people around me? God, would you allow me to cry again for the people that are lost, not just here in Potts, but Lord, all around this world. God, would you take my heart, Lord, would you make it tender? Would you make it soft? Would you let me see what you see when you look at a soul? God, would you break my heart for those that don't have what you've given me? The Bible says, and he cried. Look with me, if you would, at Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, look if you would at verse number 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comfort. I'm reminded of the fact that before Jesus left this earth, he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, that where I am there you may be also. And if I go, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you my comforter. Thank God for the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. But when you think about those that don't have Christ, maybe it might be a good idea. God, would you break my heart? Help me to remember, they have no comforter. I'm thankful that in the stillness, have you ever had a moment in your life as a believer where you realize you have messed up and you've messed up big? Aren't you thankful for your eternal security? Thankful for that. But there have been times where it's just like, Lord, I have messed up. Ah, and then the tears start to come, and I'm just thankful for the Spirit of God moving in and saying, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. 
It's under the blood. Son, you can, go to, you can rest now. Son, it's taken care of. I am thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Do you understand what it's like not to have that? Do you remember what it was like not to have that in your life? It's a cry of mercy, and it's a cry of memory. I believe this, I believe the cry that that man gives, he, the Bible says, and he cried, I believe it's very similar to what happens with Peter when Peter locks eyes with Jesus Christ when he denies the Lord, and automatically he remembers the words of Christ, and it causes him to cry. This man cries out in hell. Here's the unfortunate reality for this man. It's too late. Do you realize of all the places in the universe, God's mercy is boundless, and it can touch any place except for a soul that's in hell. There's no mercy there. Go back with me, if you would, to Luke chapter number 16. Oh, I think about all the regrets, all my failures, all my mistakes, all of my sins. And man, there are times when the devil comes in and tries to say, man, you'll never get over this. You'll never have victory. You've messed up again. You're just a louse. You're no good. God can't use you. And I am so thankful that when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and says, it is under the blood. A lost person doesn't have that. I don't know how it is in South Africa. I know this. I know in the United States of America, depression and anxiety is just through the roof. And every, I mean, a lot of people, uh, uh, many more than used to be, are taking medications for things that years ago we would just try to lean on the Lord to have help with. And I'll be very careful how I discuss this. I, I don't know where everybody's at on this. I'll simply say, my country is eaten up with anxiety and depression. You know where I think some of that comes from? I think some of that comes from the guilt of sin and having no comfort in life. A soul that reaches that place cries. We ought to cry now. Lesson number four. We learned this about missions from hell. There should be some pleading for others to know the truth. Look if you would at verse number 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldest send him to my father's house. He had a concern for his house. I, I will tell you, listen, that the Bible says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I was talking to Brother Dobbins about this the other day, and I admitted to him, I said, Brother, I said, I've got a confession for you. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for your ministry. But one thing I have not prayed for specifically for you, my brother, is that God would send more laborers into your harvest. And I admitted the same thing to your pastor. And God has burdened me. God, would you please send more laborers to South Africa? God, would you uh, send more laborers to Zambia? God, would you send more laborers to the United States of America? God, would you send more laborers into all of your harvest? Why? Because somebody's got to plead for somebody to go. He pleaded. Would you send somebody? He pleaded for somebody to testify. Look, if you would... In verse number 28, 
I have five brethren. Isn't it amazing how soul conscious people become when they hit eternity? It'd be, it'd be great if we just lived that way right now. Can I point out to you, you never read about this man praying for himself or anybody else throughout his entire life. But he prays when it's too late. Christian, I'll say this. There are some people in your sphere of influence right now that God is burdening you to reach. And if you're not careful, you'll say later, 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 later. And later will never come for you and it may never come for them. And God may be burdening you about something concerning missions, about reaching the lost, and you may say, Lord, I'll get to that later. Here's what I've learned about young people, at least in my experience. The young man says, you know what? Uh, when I'm no longer a teenager and I get through college, then I'll serve God. And when he's in college, he says, you know what? Well, I've got to find a wife. I mean, because he that finds a wife finds a good, a good thing. Amen, ladies? <laughs> and have you seen men on their own? They're miserable. I keep talking to my wife, oh, baby, I miss you so much. And then he gets a wife and he goes, Lord, I'll serve you. Uh, but you know what? We've got kids on the way and I'm busy working now. And then he works. And he's got a job and he's got a career. And he works that job and he works that career. And he says, you know what, God? When I'm retired, I'll serve you. He gets to retirement and he's old and then he dies and he doesn't do anything for the Lord. It's a story of many Christians. You see, what happens? They lose sight of the fact that somebody needs to go. And somebody's got to tell. I want to give you this in closing. Fifth thing that we see here is motivation to get out the message. Motivation to get out the message. He is motivated to reach his brothers. Motivated. Everybody in this room is motivated a little bit differently. Some people are more motivated by, by love. Some a little bit by fear, some a little bit of both, but I know this much. It ought to be because we fear God and we love God that we are motivated to give others the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. We ought to be motivated by the love of God. Can I say this? We ought to be motivated by the love for others. You know the story of... The Good Samaritan. It's amazing how many people know that term and don't. I've known people that have said that word, said that term, and they have no idea that it comes from the Bible. <laughs> you know, over there in the Gospel of Luke, the Good Samaritan, you know the story very well. The Bible says, and we're going to look at this in the morning message, the Bible says that he saw that man and he came to him where he was. He was motivated by something greater than himself. I don't know what you're motivated by, but I pray that somewhere in that list of things you are motivated to reach the loss of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you love God and because you love them. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He... Husbands! This is while the ladies go, Amen, preacher! Husbands, love your wives. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. When I read that verse, I would be okay if he just stopped it right there. But he didn't stop it right there. He goes on and says, as Christ loved the church. 
There have been times where me and my wife are in the same car, you know, and, and I like it a little bit colder, and she likes it a little bit hotter, and she goes, honey, can we just, and I'm like, oh, come on. She goes, and you love me like Christ loved the church, huh? <laughs> I've got to bring her here to meet you. I got, you've got to meet her sometime. She's hilarious, but here's the point. Christ loved the church and gave, gave, gave himself for it. There is motivation in hell to reach the lost. If God were just to give us five minutes this morning to look in that place and see the smoke and see the souls and hear the cries and smell that sulfur and understand what that place is and hear those people cry and know they've been crying for thousands of years and hear them weeping for their family and weeping for their loved ones and weeping for somebody to go and somebody to testify and somebody to go and labor in God's harvest and to see that for just a little bit and God goes, okay, that's enough. I think maybe, maybe we'd learn a little bit more about missions. Pastor Mike, would you come? Hold stand, head bowed and eyes closed. Lord, as we just heard this message, God, might this be grounded deep in our hearts. God, please, might we take this message and, and as the verse up there says, Lord, not just be hearers of this word, God, but doers. Might we actively, God, pursue this message, God. Might we actively think on this message as through the, the weeks to follow. Lord, and might that not just be something that we do, Lord, but might that be our lifestyle. Lord, might we grow um, used to laboring in your word and laboring in, in your field, God. And, and in the end, might we have the privilege of, um, of reaping these these souls, God. Please, please help us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.